Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We have a great guest today with us. It's Jen Kiaba. I'm really excited to talk to Jen. Um, she writes all about um, being a cult survivor and how we can help people that are coming out of uh, cultic movements. Of course, the words cult uh, we'll go into in this podcast can be somewhat problematic. Um, and we go into some of the very complex and broad gray areas of, of that word. Um, and I'm excited. I'm really excited to share this with you. I know a lot of you um, resonate deeply. Some of you have come out of um, extremely uh, fundamental um, kind of uh, movements, some being uh, kind of labeled cults, others you feel very cultic uh, associations to those. Um, and so it'd be great to chat with her. Uh, before we start, as always, please check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a completely free resource that helps you connect with other people that are deconstructing in your local area. So if you're feeling lonely in this process, you've maybe lost friends, family, um, and, and maybe a bit of your community, um, a great way to reconnect, uh, or not reconnect, but, but connect with people that uh, get it, that have gone through something similar, is to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. There's thousands of people on there. Um, I constantly get messages from people, selfies and all sorts from people that have met new friends there, um, really made great connections. And so it's worth checking out. Um, there might not be anyone in your area, it's still fairly new, um, but it's worth, worth checking. Um, all right, that's everything. Oh, and if you want to support the podcast, you want to support my resources and everything I'm doing, I do everything for free, um, supporting people in their journey, processing their deconstruction. I chat with people day in, day out. All of that is for free. And the reason I can do that is because of my amazing Patreons that um, support me on a monthly basis. If you would like to do that, you can do so for as little as five bucks a month. Um, I know it doesn't sound like much, but it really adds up and it helps uh, me pay the bills and you know feed me and my wife and uh, and all of that good stuff. Um, and so it's always much appreciated as a thank you. You get access to our wonderful online community. We have regular Zooms and audio calls. We chat throughout the day on our online discussion group. And so be great to have you in there as well. You can check that out at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. All right, let's jump into the show with Jen Kiaba. Hey, Jen, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. Sorry, I'm running a bit late. My headphones weren't working. It's been a while since I've recorded an interview um, oh. and uh, I couldn't get them working. So I made it. Um, we're two minutes late. It's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it at all. Um, you did good? Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. It's great to meet you. It's great to meet you too. I've been following your work for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how we first crossed paths. Maybe, maybe I think you probably crossed paths with me before I crossed paths with you, but um, I think I, I've seen posts that you've made, um, shares here and there, different writings that you've had, and always love reading uh, what you're putting out there. It's really, really um, very insightful and very challenging for me as well uh, in a lot oh. of ways. Um, okay. So that's it's really helpful. I, I, I love being challenged. So <laughs> um, that's good. But no, specifically things like how we talk about um, cult survivors, things like that. Mm. It's very, very um, helpful for me because I I'm not the biggest wordsmith and often stumble my way through my sentences and offends 18 different mm. people groups in one go, you know, so. You um, know, I mean, that's yeah. something I'm still working on too. And I also know that being the language police may not always be helpful either. It's it's really sure. more of like, I'm sharing this as like, this is something that I've thought about and maybe this would be helpful. 
Um, and I know I come across a little forceful at times too. So, you know, maybe that's something I can work on, but yeah, it's um, as I interact with the survivor community, it's something that mm. I become more aware of in terms of how I speak. So, yeah, yeah. no, I, I think, I mean, I think you do it very well. I, I never feel attacked. That's for sure. Oh, um, good. I'm trying I mean, not as to. Some, as someone that personally gets attacked regularly, I'm like, oh, this is mm. a breath of fresh air to just feel that sting of like, oh man, do I do that? I think I do do that. Oh, how can mm. I change that? You know, just, mm -hmm. I think, as best I can try not to get defensive. I think we often go, Oh, mm. what do you mean that? Or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, it's really important to have people out there that are kind of just being more aware and challenging um, those of us that often don't even know we should be more right. aware of some of these things, right? You just don't think most of the time. It, it, a lot of the time it's never any sort of intent to harm or anything like that. It's just, right absolute ignorance on the whole and yeah. so i love that you're doing your part in educating people in that area and so much more as well but um yeah, yeah no it's, it's great i mean i i definitely get being on the sort of the stung end of it and that's one reason that i try to be so careful because i know that mm -hmm. you know as i am learning more about what ableism looks like and what structural racism looks like there are times where i feel triggered by people just sharing hey here's something to be aware of, you know, and it, you realize like, oh my God, I've got so much that I have to change. And you do feel attacked, even though mm. that's not the intention. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a thin line, I think, that I try to walk at times um, of the education and, and being, you know, maybe a little bit forceful at times, um, but also sort of reminding myself that we're all still learning, you know? Yeah. So, yeah no it, it's natural right and, and i don't think anyone listening to this cannot think of a time where they looking back on it maybe overreacted somewhat and got defensive about something someone challenged them on right it's our ego suddenly backlashes and goes don't you dare call me out on being the way i am or you know don't you right. dare challenge the way i frame the world as being potentially incorrect which of course everyone's way of framing the world is in some way shape or form incorrect we're constantly evolving in that area uh, yeah. But we don't like to be reminded of that, right? Right. And I think that a lot of us still carry this binary of when somebody else corrects our behavior and educates us, they're coming from this place of like, they think that they are 100% always right. That's not how yeah. it is. It's always like, hey, I've noticed this one behavior in this one intersection of your whole thing and maybe shift this, you know, and recognizing right. that, you know, we're all working. Um and I think that those of us who have grown up in more authoritarian uh, mm. religions and maybe even just, you know, backgrounds in general, we do have that black and white thinking that we carry into other things. And so when somebody says, here's a shade of gray, it's really hard for us to process. So, yeah, you know, yeah. we all have to take it very gently with ourselves and each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think there is a component there that I think is fascinating where, um, you know, most people listen to this. I know you and I have both grown up in very fundamental kind of um, organization structures with very fundamental ways of framing reality and seeing the world, walking through the world. Um, and there's an element as well of someone coming to you as um, on some level an authority figure. Maybe they know more about cult survivors. Maybe they know more about deconstruction. Maybe they know more about racism or ableism. On some level, they have done the work and have come to a place where they can go oh hey i can help educate someone right, right. um there can be this almost um i found it in me this wariness of the person that knows it all 
because yes. I've been around people that knew it all before and it did not go well. And so there's almost this inherent fearfulness of someone that's coming in to go, this is the way it is and the way you've got it is wrong. Yeah. For a lot of us, we're just starting to learn how to figure out the way it is for ourselves, you know? And, yeah. and there's a, a component there, I think, that's going on as well. And some people that it's hard to navigate, really hard to oh, navigate. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like just so much recognition as you're saying that, you know, there are there are people that I've had to unfollow because even though I agree with everything that they're saying, the way that they are saying it is so reminiscent of what I grew mm. up with. And it doesn't allow for that that room to have discussion and grow. And it's like, okay, I'm going to have to take a step back here because I see myself being triggered and that's that's not healthy for my growth. It's not healthy for the larger yeah. conversation and I'm going to have to approach this more slowly. And I think that we do have to be careful in general of following anybody that is coming at something with that I am the full authority on this because it does lead to totalist thinking and you, you yeah. cannot give up your own ability to follow your intuition and grow. Um, and again, I'm not saying that, you know, the people that are out there um, being activists for anti-racism and things like that are bad, not at all. It's just that for those of us that our neural pathways were carved in that very black and white way, I don't think that it's healthy for us to follow anything that is super black and white we have to approach yeah. things with nuance because i think that that's part of our healing journey and that's yeah. how we can be um, better advocates and allies for anything that we want to support so yeah do you, yeah. Do you think that's across the world by the way we have so just dove in and i, I love know it. i know um, that's <laughs> this already i'm like yes this is going to be good um, do you think that's um true across the board because I, i'm intrigued by this um dynamic because what i see in people and i have to walk this line really carefully i don't know if you have this in certain conversations you have where my goal is not to get anyone to believe anything my, mm. on the whole even i don't even care if you believe that love is the answer or whatever like that's not my goal my goal is to help you figure out your shit and yeah. you to figure out what's next for yourself and to navigate that um and so I help people that are coming out of all kinds of different fundamental backgrounds. But what I've found is for some people, they're not there yet. They're not ready to start looking at things as a shade of gray. They're not ready to mm -hmm. see things in this beautiful technicolor world. They still need some black and white. And on some level, what they ultimately find is their next step is maybe maybe someone might be able to look at it and go, this is a less harmful black and white world. Um, this is a less uh, harmful fundamental way to see the world in the way that we might say uh, the Westboro Baptist Church, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Westboro, it's yes. very fundamental, not the most rosy colored helpful people in the world, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and then you maybe look at a progressive church that can still be very fundamental about the nature of God and maybe quite a lot of social justice issues and stuff. And you're like, yeah, but if you're going to be fundamental, I kind of like the progressive church and I really still don't like the Westboro Baptist Church too much. Right. Um, and so I wonder sometimes if if people can go from such extreme fundamentalism into, I, I know for myself, I feel like I tiptoed my way through a, a kind of almost more inclusive, more loving, more expansive, more kind, but still quite black and white fundamentalisms as I moved on before I came to a place of going, oh, this is all very dualistic. And I kind of would like to kind of transcend some of that dualism. Like, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think there's a place for fundamentalism? 
Um, oh, I feel like a yes or no answer is super black and white. When I was growing up, my mother accused me of being a relativist. Um, so her point of view was even my ability to sort of transcend any black and white thinking was problematic. Um, but at the same time, my experience of exiting the Unification Church was also a very incremental process. Part of it, I think, is learning to trust your own intuition over that fundamentalist authoritarian. Mm. This is how it needs to be. Um, and I know that in the sort of cult world, um, cult even being sort of a problematic term in and of itself, which we could talk about later. Yeah. But those of us who have exited these high demand groups tend to cult hop. And so it could be that even like I look at that as being like, oh, that sucks if you go from one cult to another. But maybe there is a progression in that, too. Mm. Like when I left the Unification Church, I really clung to a lot of sort of new agey ideology. And I look back on that and I'm like, oh, well, that's more of a pendulum swing to something that can potentially be just as fundamentalist and problematic. Sure. Um, because if you look at, you know, some of the abuses coming out of fundamentalist and new age kind of groups, uh, it's the same thing. Right? right. You've just got different words for it. So is fundamentalism problematic? I think so. You know, that's <laughs> the closest thing that I can have to a yes or no. I've experienced it as being problematic. Um, I think that there's always going to be nuance to various situations, um, but I don't think that it is possible for us to jump from being born and raised in a very totalist environment to mm. going into something that is just completely understanding every single nuance out of a situation and being able to see sort of the whole intersectional picture of things. Even in, in intersectional sort of liberal politics, you can have a lot of black and white thinking, you know, and yeah. I, I really struggle with that community because I believe many things that they believe but I also see how um, some of the things that we would consider to be thought reform tactics play out even in yeah. those communities. So uh, that's a very long answer to say, I don't know. No, it's good. That's my favorite type of answer. Um, <laughs> long answers that say, I don't know. That's all I give basically these days. So right, yeah, great. me too. <laughs> um, they're way more interesting, much more interesting. Um, imagine a podcast with just yes, no answers the whole way through, right? Can you oh, imagine? Yeah. Yeah. That must be actually what some people basically are doing, though. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. yeah, I think that that's, you know, it's super tempting to have easy answers for things. I think that's one reason why we get drawn into these these groups that have the answers or these these lifestyles that give us the answers, because it is an easy yes or no. And it's a yeah. lot harder to think for yourself. And it's a lot lonelier, too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's really interesting. I think often most of my world these days seems to be framed in the 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 kind of process of developmental theory and how people grow and develop. Mm -hmm. And um, I heard a quote, I think it was yesterday by uh, Jeb McKenna, who basically said that when we look at most people, um, they're in their infancy. And basically he said, most 70 year olds are about 11 years old with 59 years of experience. Um, right. And and I think of these kind of ways of framing the world, you know, an 11 year old is quite fundamental. They are very black and white. They don't right. see a lot of nuance. Their parents told them this and I just believe it. And that's why when you become a teenager, you're suddenly like, screw you, mom, you don't know everything. I finally found out the truth or, you know, like, right. so you suddenly right. start to think a bit more for yourself and you're growing and you're developing. 
But I know a lot of 70 year olds that are still 11, right? That are still in that mindset where it is black and white. And the, and the teacher told me, right? The right. Um, Reverend Moon told me, you know, the Pope told me, whoever it is, mm -hmm. right? Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Obama told me, Trump told me, whatever, right? It really right. doesn't matter. We can all kind of just get to this place where we're looking for another leader, another authority figure to kind of go, this is the absolute way, believe right. it. Um, I think we're all susceptible to that to some degree. I know I watch documentaries of these new movements and it can be a new age one. It can be a Christian one. It can be an atheist one. Um, and you, you start watching it and you go, God, yeah, they're onto something. I love this. Right, right. There's so many dynamics of that that we could get into. Right. But one of it is, oh, there's like a kind of clear way to see the world. And I can just slot into that. And I don't have to think for myself. I don't have right. to figure out, well, who's actually an appropriate authority in this area. And actually it might not be the same person as in this area. And I'm going to have to put some thought into this. There's something quite appealing, even in me now that goes, oh, I do like that idea to some degree of just finding someone to kind of give everything oh, yeah, over and yeah. let them do it for me. You've, you've reminded me of two things. One is last night I was having a conversation about developmental psychology with my partner, referencing my grandmother. I'd visited her. She told me this story and I was appalled by the story because basically she had had, uh, she'd been visiting somebody the person she was visiting had another visitor and the woman said, can we meet up again in an hour? And my grandmother was so upset by this that she cut off the friendship. And so I started talking about affect regulation with my partner, that this is something that we learn if we grow up in a healthy environment, you know, and if you have proper attachment and whatnot. And I'm looking at this 97 year old woman who hasn't been able to learn to regulate and what a lonely mm. life that is because she is seeing in, in very black and white. Um, and it reminded me of something that uh, Rachel Bernstein, who runs the Indoctrination podcast, had said to me about, you know, looking at people as sort of these overgrown toddlers in certain situations yeah. because they haven't learned to regulate. Um, and I've, I've forgotten the second thing that I was going to, oh, the second thing that I was going to say was that <laughs> um, in terms of that, that um, sort of seductive pull, I was in my father's garage the other day archiving some photos and I found this folder of um, a potential matching candidate. So in the Unification Church, your partner is chosen for you. And the date for this particular workshop that my parents had gone to was post my leaving by several years. But there was candidate information in there of like potential matches that they were going to try to like basically marry me off to, even though I was out. And on one hand, I felt incredibly angry, angry and betrayed to think that my, my parents had been working behind my back in this way. But that seductive pull was there. Like I looked at the picture of one of these guys and thought like, oh, my life would have been so much easier if I could have made it work. <laughs> and that's something that I fundamentally reject on an intellectual level. But on that emotional level where you're like you're kind of going against the current and you're constantly striving and having to discard ideas and, you know, grow those neural pathways, um, it's exhausting. Mm. And so I can completely understand when people are like, you know what, just tell Tell me what to do tell me what to wear tell me what to eat tell me what to think that would be great you know yeah yeah oh it's exhausting making decisions i think a big part of coming out of fundamentalism and the exhaustion that people find is the sudden weight of the world that the other people have kind of been carrying for you now there's mm. everything to be said for all the negative components of that right no one's saying oh, yeah. that's a healthy way to live life right. but it is on some level quite a bit easier 
um, mm. in many, many ways. It's also a lot harder in other ways, right? So again, there's so much yeah. to the black and white that we could actually pick together and piece together sure. a very complex gray picture here. Um, mm. But yeah, it's exhausting to learn how to, to navigate, right? It's, it's exhausting to find a life partner that you love and want to connect with and want to build a life with rather than going, doesn't matter whether you love them or not. This is Greg. He's your husband now. Yeah. Just make it work. You're like, oh shit, that kind of sounds sucky, but actually it actually worked on some level, probably again, not a very healthy level if you do any proper history work here, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but it worked on some level for most of human history. That's just how they worked. They were like, well, yeah, I guess that's what we'll do. And, and, and you know, they did it. Um, love wasn't a part of the equation. That's why you had like love childs was because you went off and have sex with the person you love and then you had a right. child with them. Um, but you know, like there's, there's all kinds of different dynamics there, but it does in a in a twisted romanticization of it um you suddenly go oh that does sound so much easier than making something work when the when the idea of um allowing marriage for the sake of love started surfacing in the 16 1700s it was the church that was the strongest opposing to marrying people for love and their biggest objection was they said well if people start marrying for love they'll get divorced when they fall out of love and I thought that's such a fascinating thing because in a sense, they were very prophetic, right? Um, right. They're like, well, yeah, exactly. That is true. But isn't that a great thing that we can love someone and marry them? And if we don't, if it doesn't work, we can leave and we can forge a new path. And those are all good things. But uh, Well, yeah. and now you're getting into questioning the fundamental basis of institutions that we considered to be inviolable in the past. And that that's a really healthy thing to do, actually. Let's mm. just deconstruct all the notions of institution and sort of figure it out from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it is, it's remarkable what can happen from that place, right? And how, things, right. To, to the degree that we can start, uh, it's, it's fascinating with so many discussions of like, can you even imagine um, a world that hasn't now been shaped so heavily by racism, that hasn't been so sh- mm-hmm. heavily shaped by something like Christianity and the Christendom mm-hmm. of the West or something like that. But the truth is, it's only taken us 200 years for people in the West to forget that 200 years ago, everyone got arranged marriages. We literally have forgot it. Or it's only taken the evangelical church and, and the Protestants 50 years to forget that they were pro-choice before the 60s mm. and 70s. Mm. That the Protestants were pro-choice. You know, they were key instrumental people in pushing Roe v. Wade coming to uh, a head. And suddenly they're all like, no, 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 we've always been like this. And, and so it does make me wonder to what degree our capacity for creating a new life and actually almost forgetting the old as a mm. as an entire system not even just as individuals i think we all do that to some degree we kind of look yeah. at our past lives and go i can't even remember what that was like um but what does it look like for whole societies to start doing that it, it makes me excited to think of worlds where there aren't such fundamental institutions guiding everything whether that yeah. society will ever exist or not i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean and it, it's a it's a really interesting question then to say you know is that short-term memory loss you know, in the grand scheme of things, a good thing or a bad thing, because on one hand, it would be wonderful to forget uh, what a racist society looks like, what a patriarchal mm. society looks like in terms of like, wouldn't it be wonderful if we didn't live that way? But the, the concept of forgetting can be so dangerous too. You know, it is right. by carrying those memories along that you are reminded of, of why you want to not go back in yeah. that direction. And I think that that's one of the fundamental questions that we need to, to be asking ourselves in our current political landscape is like, how did we get here and why? And where do we wanna go from here? Because mm. without the context of the past, you can stay stuck, you can repeat it, you know, as all of the aphorisms say. So 
I find that sometimes it's really, really hard for me to remember what my life growing up was like. A part of it is because I don't want to remember it, but it is important for me to keep those memories very close at hand because I don't want to fall back into that fundamental way of behaving. And it is very easy to do again when mm. your sort of like emotional, spiritual, mental muscles are all sort of uh, gr have grown in that direction, if you will. You know, yeah. it's, it's sort of like um, that concept of chiropractors who are constantly realigning you so that your muscles can support your spine in an appropriate way. If we've been twisted in a certain way, it's very easy to stay that way without that mm. constant reminder and readjustment. So, yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's tough. I, I think that there are certainly, um, forces that would prefer us not to remember. And I think that's mm. part of how we got here, you know, in this yeah. current moment. Um, so yeah, I, I know it is very tempting to put things behind us. And I know so many people that don't want to remember their past because it is so painful. Um, and I would just say that for myself, mm. <laughs> it's important to remember. Yeah. I, th I think it, it boils down to really healthy integration with something like this. Mm. And I think it takes time to come to a place where you can start to integrate the past. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, you know, we find this a lot with people. And obviously my background is more with evangelical kind of um, Protestant Christianity. But across the board, I see this, whether I'm in that world or, or outside of it, that the early stages of kind of deconstructing that whole uh, outlook and coming into this new world where you start building your own authority and autonomy and you go, gosh, there's more to live for than just the group and this group ideology and belief. And I can build my own world and I can succeed as my own ideology and whatever I believe success is, it's, it's there for me. Um, and there seems to be this like initial, well, fuck the past, burn it mm -hmm. to the ground. I hate everything about it. And, and it can be very... Um, important to kind of go through that stage and just I think so. really burn yeah. up everything in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but I do think long-term actually in that burning process, um, we find that there's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't burn. You know, when we stop and I think with enough time, there's an ability to look back and look amongst the charred rubble and actually you go, oh gosh, look at that, whatever, I don't know, precious gemstone or jewel or something that doesn't burn, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's some gold in there and or whatever. And you go, gosh, there's actually some stuff in this past that mm -hmm. is helpful. And it might even only be helpful in the sense of like, that shit, don't do it, right? I mean, right, if that's right. all it is, that's helpful to take with you, right? Like remembering the history and going, hey, let's not forget what racism looks like and let's right. not do that one again. That's like crazy if we allow that to reinvent itself in some new way in the future, which we're constantly doing, right? We're constantly reinventing some form of racist way to allow that implicit system to kind of work out itself. Mm -hmm. Same with religion, right? People leave religion and then they create um, a totally religious, non-religious institution around mm -hmm. their new ideology and beliefs or, or whatever it is right you get join the next mlm or something right or whatever it is how many like people deconstructing suddenly start selling mlms or i don't yeah. know um yeah. and i i feel like how has that looked maybe we should go into your story a bit as well oh, but sure. maybe before we do because because that obviously would be very helpful for people to know a bit more about you and, and that world um but i'm intrigued before we do that let's we'll do like memento right we'll start at the end and then we'll work mm. over back <laughs> um how has that looked for you like in in coming out of um a, a system that i think most people would look at and go gosh that's an extremely oppressive and, and controlling system 
Um, what was that like for you initially? And, and how has it been for you coming to terms with your past and, and maybe mm. integrating some of that? Was there stuff in there that you go, gosh, there's some gray in here as well, though, actually. It isn't all white and I'm out here in the black that's good, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's an incredibly complex question to answer. Um, I've been out 15 years, something like that. And I would say that my experience leaving immediately was definitely like, fuck this all, it's all bad, screw all of you. I never wanna see any of you again. Um, partially because I had gotten shunned too for making choices that I had made that were not aligned with unification church ideology. And so it was like, fine, you don't want me here. I don't want to be here, you know, um, and everything about this is bad. And um, if anybody had said to me, was there any good in your experience, I would have probably been incredibly offended. And I, I still do think that that question can be very problematic for survivors mm -hmm. and we can get into that. Um, one of the hardest things for anybody leaving one of these environments that shaped and controlled your identity is that you do have that complete loss of, of identity. If you were born and raised in it, that was who you were. You yeah. leave and you lose that, in, that entire structure yeah. around who you are. And so there is, in a sense, whether you want it to be or not, a burning down of self. And then also a, how do I survive in this world that I was taught was completely bad. And a lot of us tend to overestimate the world. We're like, okay, that in the past was horrible, awful, everything out here must be great. And I think that it's, it's a painful learning process to realize like, oh, wait a minute, maybe there is a reason why people join these groups that have these... Um, ideas about saving the world because the world mm -hmm. itself is kind of problematic right needs saved and, sometimes <laughs> yeah it might need some saving and so um, I think that I went from hating my parents hating everything about the church to coming to a place in recent years of having a little more compassion and understanding. Mm -hmm. I still think that Moon is a problematic person. I think that he was a megalomaniac and a narcissist and an abuser. I think that there are abusive people in the power structure of the unification church. Mm. However, I'm learning to have compassion for my parents, who they were when they joined, the fact that nobody joins a group knowing how abused they will be. Sometimes right. they don't even know what it is that they're joining. So even the word joining is problematic. Um, and so I think that that has really been one of my biggest uh, learning paths is, again, going from black and white to slightly more nuanced, realizing that there's, you can't just have this perspective of they were the abusers and I am the victim. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people still stuck in these systems who, yes, they are perpetuating abuse. And there was a point where they turned from victim to abuser, but they were initially abused or they were initially abused and were then victims themselves. And so in the rubble, I feel like I am just now starting to find some of those gems. And I was actually writing about this on a, like in a personal sort of journaling way the other day of trying to sort of rediscover who the person that I was 15 years ago, who was that person? Because I burned down that identity, but that person was actually quite strong and quite intuitive and quite brave. Um, 
and I am still that person. Those are things inside of me that still exist. And so, you know, just recognizing the need to sort of integrate those pieces a little yeah. bit more is something that I am working on. Um, but I would say that from the perspective of belief system or comfort with groups, um, I'm still probably a lot more black and white than I'd want to admit. Mm. Not a fan of groups. People who are all agreeing with each other freak me out. Um, you know, and in terms of any kind of like religious structure in my life, I don't have any. You know, I'm very much like, I think the universe is a fascinating place. I really like Star Trek because it has all of these interesting questions, but I have no real concrete beliefs about anything. And, and I don't know that I ever will. Yeah. So I think that there are certain things that, that may never sort of gel in that regard. And I'm learning to be comfortable with ambiguity. And yeah. I think that that's probably one of the most important things for us coming out of fundamentalism is sitting with a discomfort of ambiguity yeah. and the unanswered questions. Yeah. Um, and I'm learning to realize that it's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't leave um, a fundamental outlook and not be okay with some uncertainty with, un, you know, the, the unambiguous kind of outcome. Mm -hmm. it, it's the only outcome in a non-fundamental reality. You might be able to maybe go, oh, I'm going to believe this, but you've got to hold it pretty open-handed because you are aware you could be very wrong. And tomorrow you might be finding something else that seems more true, more right. helpful, more right more wrong maybe even your concepts of right and wrong evolve and grow anyway maybe what's right for you now is maybe not right for you tomorrow and mm -hmm. it will be wrong um but it was right for you yesterday and you can't really look too badly on your prior self or whatever it looks like yeah. um yeah it's, it's such a hard one and and i and I, th and I think you're absolutely right there's just such a there's there's such a complexity to looking back and dealing with that time and recognizing that like these systems are not good healthy systems like i, I think mm -hmm. uh, you know when we're talking about finding gems in rubble it's literally like oh there's a couple of gems in this burnt down like expanse of <laughs> buildings yeah. that are just done yes. um, yeah. and so like you know it i think for at least for most people maybe maybe there's a lot more for some and maybe a lot less for others as well again it's complex right mm -hmm. but it's so hard to navigate I, I i was struck by this when i read um i don't know if you've read it megan phelps uh roper's book yes, unfollow yeah, and I, I remember reading it and just thinking gosh i'm so excited to read this i'm so intrigued to look at the inner workings a bit more of the west Robotons, just have that behind the veil uh mm. look and i remember i was about halfway through and i was like gosh i love these people i really love them she does and, such a beautiful job of portraying these as like human loving people it's her yes. family because you never love yeah. these people when you watch them on the the documentary know, someone's filmed or on the news when they're yeah. saying all sorts of horrifying slurs and picketing mm -hmm. funerals and you're like these people are the worst humans i hate these people and you mm -hmm. read this book and you go oh they're her mom and her sister yeah. and her brother and Oh my gosh. And and what was really interesting is then watching her having to pick that apart and go, I hate this system. I do mm -hmm. not see it as a good thing. I see this as really destructive and unhelpful and unhealthy. And I really hope my family come out of that. But I don't hate the times we had a birthday party and we were all laughing and we had a right. good time and it was fun. Right. And, and it's the problem of even in the most destructive system, there's these great things and moments and memories and and, and things that when you first come out, it's so hard to untangle all of mm -hmm. that complexity. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it does do quite a little bit of harm to us in a sense. We're moving forward and it's good for us, but I think it does right. a great deal of harm in some degree that we have to kind of like cut that out 
in a sense, or or even demonize that to some degree. Yeah. Would you agree? Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. Again, I'm going to say, like, I think it depends. For me mm. personally, um, I had to demonize everything and cut it off and give myself space. And I think that for those of us who are caught in that cycle of abuse, that might be the healthiest thing for us to do in order to cut it off. Um, and I wrote a blog post about this, um, about euphoric recall. Um, because a lot of us can get stuck, and, and this happens with uh, the victims of domestic violence. They, when you have this euphoric recall, you remember the good times, and it can keep you stuck in very, very dangerous situations, and it can lure you back into a dangerous situation. And because of the way that our brains work, and again, with that cycle of abuse where there's like the, the love bombing phase and then the devaluation phase, which is, you know, the super abusive yeah. part, and then there's like that making up phase, it releases these chemicals in our brain that bonds us to our abusers. And so when we engage in the euphoric recall, again, it can tie us to these traumatic situations that maybe we need to leave. Maybe we do need to make that space for ourselves before we can go... God, I love my mom, as opposed to like that love keeping you in that traumatic cycle. Yeah. Um, I would never, never want to dictate to somebody else how they process that because it is yeah. so complicated and we all have to approach things in the way that we feel is best for us. And we may look back and be like, the way that I approached that was not best for me. And I, right. I know that there were times where I got sucked back in and I still have nightmares about getting sucked mm. back in by my family. So again, complicated. Um, yeah. But I have no judgment for people that struggle with that because yeah. I think it's very human, you know, Absolutely. and, and it's, it's, it, especially in her case, it's where she learned love. It's where she learned acceptance and it's where she learned what behavior was acceptable too. So breaking that, the break that she had to go through, um, I think was pretty, pretty intense. And I think yeah that there was a long period of time for her and for many of us before she could look back and say, ah, I have processed this to the point where I do see those gems. Yeah. It's very hard to find the gems in the immediate remnants of the yeah. bombed out system. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, there's plenty of gems moving forward. You know, digging through rubble for gems versus just moving forward into a beautiful world and expanse of gems. Like, that's great. Although, like you said, sometimes you move forward and you're like, God, this place is a shithole too or whatever, right? You know, so sometimes. Um, but I think it's interesting you said, so my wife and I have a friend who um, has been a victim of domestic abuse and, and trying to get them out of uh, helping them kind of make great decisions and and mm -hmm. and just mourning and, and just grieving when they don't make good decisions because you yeah. know that cycle is so real yeah. um, and i often see that parallel yeah i think i put a post out a while back about the different parallels that i think the six different main metrics for that um that cycle um mm -hmm. that I, I can't remember i found a paper on it and i was like gosh these six metrics are there for people that leave churches or or yeah. different um you know very fundamental movements and they do the same thing they they yeah. they've cycle through these same components and that that euphoric release is part of it right you go back mm -hmm. and, and you do you you remember the good times you go, well maybe it isn't as bad as i thought it was and yeah. i remember that and that and that and i do miss that i don't have that right now or whatever it is um and it's really hard i think i guess that's maybe you know when we when you're coming down to these kind of components you're probably looking at like some form whether quite severe or or, or minor it's, it's some component of complex trauma that you're looking at and oh, totally. really 
when you're dealing with complex trauma, if you're listening to this and going, this is me actually, oh my God, <laughs> I feel, yeah. I feel called out right now. This is, this is what's going on. Um, that's okay. That's so normal. It's really healthy that you're actually in all this actually in some degree, some way, shape or form. That's a normal response to being brought up in this environment, to having mm. these experiences. It's normal. Um, and yeah. you're fairly healthy that that's happening to you. The situation isn't healthy, but I think it's what highlights uh, the importance of having great trauma-informed therapists and, and people that can kind of act as that third party and come in and go, hey, here's a mirror. Here's mm. help me help you kind of help process that and i i don't know how people do it without therapy honestly sometimes it's it's astonishing um and and yeah yeah, it's 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 something else to be navigating the complexities of all of this i think that there's um a new awareness for many in the therapy world and helping professions about the connections between abuse, complex trauma, religious abuse, you know, and, and what I would call like the, the cultic spectrum. And I think that fundamentalism does exist on this cultic spectrum. Um, and, you know, there are more abuses and less abuses, but I think that it is so hard um, to identify what is happening to us without somebody who has that education to be, I mean, for me personally, it was, um, a game changer. I did see a trauma-informed therapist about six years after I left the Unification Church, but it wasn't until I started working with a cult-aware therapist that mm. I, I became fascinated in, in, in learning about coercive control and understanding what the frameworks were for what I experienced. Because for a long time, I think many of us are so gaslit into yeah. believing what everybody else tells us, um, not trusting our own intuition, that we feel crazy when we are trying to access our intuition and and having somebody be able to be like, no, nope, this is actually what's happening. Um, I mean, there's the danger, of course, of relying too heavily on the therapist. As right, the I was just thinking but... that. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm thinking of my friends in this situation and I'm like, yeah. yeah, a good intervention. And immediately he's like, you're all right. Yes, I'll end this. And then right, two right. days later, he's like, oh, I'm back together. And you're like, right. Well, yeah. We basically made that decision for you. Clearly that wasn't something of internal here. Right. And I think there can be a danger there of us looking to even a therapist to go make my decisions. But I think a I think well-trained a therapist... trauma therapist is not going to do that. They're going right, to be aware exactly. of that danger. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that like I've told my therapist that there are times where it's like, I want her to give me permission. I am still seeking that mm. because I was so trained for it. And she's really good because she doesn't you know, and and she doesn't even like really acknowledge it when she can tell that I'm asking for it. Um, She just sort of like lets me fumble. And I think that that's really, really important because I've then, I grew up believing that I didn't have choices. And so even when I started making choices, I didn't know how to take responsibility for them. And I was like that flailing toddler that couldn't control myself, um, who was angry and would lash out because somehow my life wasn't turning out the way I thought it was and I wasn't in control and blah, blah, blah. The more that I do recognize that I do have the power to make decisions and that I am the one in control of them, it is so important. And so I think that you're right. Uh, Many of us, when we are first leaving or when we're in like really dark periods of struggle in our deconstruction, it is so intoxicating to want to give up that control again to another authority. Mm. And it's so important during those times not to, and to find people that are not going to take advantage. Um, And I've, I've come across people that 
can smell that kind of vulnerability on us and would love mm-hmm. to take advantage. And it's so dangerous because sometimes we um, we sort of get back into that sort of old programming and we don't realize how far we're in until we're like, what is going on? No, this isn't okay, you know? And so it's easy, I think, to get angry at ourselves when we find ourselves in those relationships or in those circumstances, whether it's, you know, personal relationships, work environments, they manifest everywhere. This yeah. is human behavior that we're talking about. It's not like some sort of, you know, evil spell that's cast. Cultic behavior is human behavior and it will find it everywhere. Um, And so when we let ourselves, when we let down our guard and we get lured back in, um, it can be really easy to be angry at ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I never want to tell people who probably grew up being hypervigilant to be hypervigilant because it's not healthy. But at the same time, I think that what happens is we kind of, we go through these cycles over and over where we're learning and we're developing new layers of skills. And so we're going to keep making the same mistakes. We might right. have a shitty therapist that we give too much authority to, or we might have a partner that we let make decisions, or we might get into a work environment where they're too controlling and we'll get out of them hopefully. And we have to give our, I hate to use this phrase, but I actually really connect with this phrase. Give ourselves grace. I know that's such yeah. a Christian phrase. And it I really apologize is. to anybody who's like, no. Um, a whole bunch of people to... all over the world just shivered know, when they heard I that. I know, I know. Uh, so be kind to yourselves. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. I didn't grow up with that language at all. And so I sort of like, I, sometimes I feel like a little magpie picking up little phrases. Yeah. Like, oh, it's it's like, good this, though, this isn't shiny. it? It's so, it's such a helpful concept to look yeah. at yourself with compassion and go, yes, of yeah. course you did that. Of course you're like that. You're learning. It's okay. Like, right, right. And, and that's a beautiful way to see things for sure. Yeah. If you can unwrap that language from whatever right. connotations so, it may have before. I think, you know, this is why, like, when I use a word that I recognize might be triggering to, to people in my community, I always say substitute whatever you need. Right. And so in that sense, you know, substitute whatever you need. Like, I, I try to read The Artist's Way by Julie Cameron, and she talks about God all the time. And she even gives you the caveat of substitute the universe or whatever it is. And it's like, I cannot get through that book. Because even with right. the substitutions, the framework, I'm just like, no, so I get it. And I'm so sorry to anybody that I triggered. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's like, you know, in therapy, you sometimes talk about reparenting yourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and you would never... hopefully god hopefully you would never abuse a child for making a mistake multiple times because you know that they're growing well we're growing too you know in a sense when you leave these fundamental environments you are sort of like a child again relearning everything rebuilding your identity because your identity is something that happens you build it yeah when you're like seven eleven you know in your teens and all of that work that we did gets usually gets thrown out the window. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're a kid again and you got to be kind to yourself and you'd be like, you know what? Yeah, we tripped. It's okay. We're going to get up and and now we know. And uh, next time we might make a mistake again. We may not recognize it, but it's okay. We're going to figure it out. That's something that I'm working on. It's really hard because we are so trained to be so mean to ourselves especially in fundamental environments yeah yeah oh I'm I'm the worst I I can't tell you (laughs) how many books I've read about self-compassion and all this different stuff and like I'm beating myself up while reading it you know I mean I'm like oh you should be reading this more often it's you know or whatever right you just I just can't help but be mean to myself it's well I've been reading 
Take Back Your Life by uh, Dr. Yanya Lalich and Madeline Tobias. And one of the things that they talk about for cult survivors is the importance of rest. Mm. And so like I'd put down the book and then I'd be like, I should be studying that book again. You know, like totally what? not taking what they say. <laughs> How dare I watch some Netflix or, you know, like, you're just like, yeah. why am I this critical overlord? And you're like, oh, wait, I let critical overlords become my inner voice for yes. years. Yes, of course exactly. I'm like this. Again, extending compassion to yourself and going, of right. course you're like this, Phil, it's okay. That's actually, yeah. you're normal and this is going to get better. And all these people teaching this are teaching it because it does get better. It does right. change. And you just need to take the step by step, maybe beat yourself up a little less often if you, if you notice. And yeah. yeah, it's, oh gosh, it's so hard though. I just, it's so funny, yeah. isn't it? And yeah, exactly. It is, it is funny. I, I've got to the place where I'm laughing at myself when I catch myself do it. And, and my wife is better at catching it, right? She's just like, Phil, would you stop calling yourself an idiot every time? Like, one thing goes slightly wrong or you know and it's yeah. like yeah but I did have the big god hanging over my shoulder thinking I was a completely useless worthless worm all the, my life you know of course yeah. I'm thinking I'm useless or whatever and yeah. whenever I don't measure up to some perfect standard that doesn't exist and oh it's isn't that that's so that's one of the things that I think is the most toxic in in the unification church we were taught that we actually as humans had the ability to achieve perfection well all right define perfection for me what does that look like right. who determines perfection when do you get the medal you know mm. like if there was a, a a checklist it would certainly be easier right it would still be toxic I think but there's no such thing as perfect. Yeah. Nobody can define it. It's so subjective. And I think for many of us that grew up with this idea of having to measure up, um, it's a moving goalpost too. Yeah. And I think that is probably one of the hardest things to deconstruct is this idea that we have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And so um, in, in Robert J. Lifton's theory about thought reform, one of the eight criteria is the demand for purity. And I sort of translate that as the demand for perfection. You have to perfectly adhere to whatever the standard is today. And I see this manifest in a lot in our culture right now. And it doesn't matter what side of the political or ideological spectrum you're on. Like cancel culture is sort of a perfect example of this. Yeah. I think that accountability culture is really important, but it to me resonates with the demand for purity in the cancel culture that we sort of see kind of growing out of accountability culture. Um, and so I think that it's it's really, really important, again, going back to that, giving ourselves that kindness and compassion to allow ourselves to make mistakes and grow. And it's, it's really hard right now because yeah. as a culture, I think that we are deconstructing. You know, there, there are a lot yeah. of toxic systems that we are dismantling and we're trying to figure this stuff out. Again, cultic behavior is human behavior. So it totally makes sense that as we're saying, okay, the patriarchy and structural racism are really problematic. Let's start pulling it apart. What do we put in its place? And we don't have ideal solutions to put in there. So we're all kind of like figuring this stuff out. And so this is a really, I don't know that there's ever been a good time to deconstruct. <laughs> it's a great time to do it. And it's also a really hard time to do it yeah. because of everything that's going on in our society and the cultural conversations and the fact that none of us know how to react to the fact that a lot of the structures that have propped up our identities and our societal functioning for years, decades, 
centuries are being pulled out from under us. We're all flailing. Yeah. So maybe again, that gives us a chance to be more compassionate with ourselves in that maybe people don't realize they're deconstructing, but they are, we're all in this right. together. We're all failing utterly all the time. And it's beautiful because we're hopefully stumbling towards something better and um, hopefully something that, that works for us, you know, that isn't as exclusionary. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a triggering time to be doing this work. And, yeah. uh, and so I think that that's something that we just have to kind of be aware of that this is the additional layer as we are tearing apart our own personal ideologies that defined us, it's happening on a larger level. And there's a lot of toxic conversation happening around it because we're all sort of burning stuff down and we're all kind of airing things out. Um, and, and there's a lot of pain. There's a yeah. lot of pain in this process. <sighs> And I have no answers, you know, no, I have, yeah. and, and I don't think that it, I should, um, but I guess just, you know, it's been really important for me uh, in this process to recognize that like, this is happening on a larger level and it's going to trigger a lot of us as it's happening. Yeah. And I think that that's okay, you know, yeah. because yeah. as we recognize the triggers, we can kind of, you know, learn to... Um, avoid some of the minefields if if those are really really dangerous for us and and learn better ways to behave again on a societal level personal level you know and if we choose a religious level that too yeah yeah it's it's interesting it highlights you know I, I am often surprised I don't know how I still get surprised by this because I have this conversation all the time but I'm still every time I have this conversation I'm like how do people not see this but um we see these shifts coming out of um, anything on the whole spectrum of quite a cultic kind of um, way of life. Um, we see that shift as, oh, I'm deconstructing um, a faith or a, an adherence to a particular group or ideology, and oh, that's what's happening. And, and what's interesting is we're looking at a symptom of something that's happening, because actually coming out of that, that group is not what's happened to you. What's happened to you is you have gone through some sort of psychological change where you've started to think more for yourself, think more critically, think in a, in a new way, rationally and logically. Of course, everyone is thinking rationally and logically. They're just their parameters for rationality and logic change Different. and grow and evolve. Yeah. Um, and so one person's ration is like, well, look, the Bible says another person's ration is like, well, that was written by a bunch of people that couldn't, you know, um, figure out how to like, whatever, I don't know, <laughs> ride on a horse properly or whatever, um, you know. It's really much more about this internal reality that's changing and that leads you to be suddenly going, oh, why the hell am I in this group? This is not adding up. This doesn't feel healthy. This doesn't feel safe. That doesn't make sense. And so, so naturally you leave that group, but there's something much deeper going on than just leaving a group or stopping believing a religion or a ideology because, and people realize this as time goes on, because you suddenly realize, Oh wow, my politics changed. And, oh, I don't actually mm -hmm. put up with that way of interacting with people anymore. And, mm -hmm. Oh, I'm not putting up with my parents being like that anymore. Or, and, and of course, so much of our religion shapes all of the above. Right. I mean, for most mm -hmm. of us that were in very fundamental religions, yeah. they want to say in all of the above and everything else you can think of, you know, give me a topic and I'll tell you what you should be <laughs> believing about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, I do feel like, you know, and that's why I think what you're highlighting there is the world is doing this, right? So you could yes. have grown up completely non-religious, but maybe you grew up in a conservative home. Mm -hmm. and you're growing up and starting to go that doesn't make as much sense or maybe you grew up in a very liberal home in the same way you're starting to look at it and go 
this is really fundamental. And actually, as I look at this a bit more, I'm not saying I'm going to become a like hardcore Republican or anything, but Mm -hmm. there's some points over here on that right side that make a lot of sense. And I would like to incorporate that with some of the stuff that I've been taught my growing up in the left or whatever it might be. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a psychological growth. It's like that 11 year olds becoming a 16 year old. Maybe we're, we've right. all started to become teenagers across the world. And, and it's looking like us going, wait, why do we treat someone of a different race like that? Oh my God, I'm right. a terrible husband because I'm so sexist or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people I think miss. And because of that, I think all these other things almost creep up on you. And by creep up, I mean like just empty, like a dump truck on your back, right? I mean, it's not like a, a subtle thing because suddenly you start going, oh my God, this is terrifying. What am I going to do without this faith? And oh, yeah. how's it going to affect my family? And you turn around and suddenly go, oh my God, I'm a racist and I'm a sexist. And yes, I'm yeah. totally lost in all these different broken systems. And oh, I don't even know what way to vote anymore. And should I be voting? Mm. This all seems broken. And it's all just wave upon wave. It's so much to process. It, it is. Horrific. And... And I think that those of us that grow up in these totalist environments, we really struggle with the nuance of, I still have value, even though I am part of this larger deconstruction, right? I've stepped Mm. out of the fundamentalist group and I still carry implicit racism, implicit misogyny, me as a woman, you know, I'm still processing all of these other things. It doesn't make me a bad person. It just means that like, oh, okay. So I've stepped out of this one system. And then this larger system is also having kind of the same conversations, right? Mm -hmm. My stepping out of my fundamentalism doesn't make me a bad person. They say it does, but it doesn't. (laughs) That's, that's the one black and white I'm going to say here. Um, and so the fact that I am now struggling to deconstruct larger things that I was indoctrinated into in the bigger system, it doesn't make you a bad person. Um, but yeah, it's it's still very difficult to deal with because it's like, you know, we've been we've been breathing this in. It has shaped our identities much the same way that fundamentalism has. And so you do have to kind of go through almost like this extra layer of it. And it is really hard. Mm. Um, I am still recognizing the fundamental misogynies that I was brought up with, right? And the the whole like I grew up in a very racist system. So I've got that to deconstruct. And then I have got the white supremacist system that the greater world has that I am also deconstructing Mm. at the same time. Um, And I think that it's really, really hard because like you said, it is such a dump truck that you are just overwhelmed by. It is really hard to hold on to the idea of, and I'm inherently a good person like, because I am not actively trying to harm anybody, right? Like, I am right. actively trying to be non-misogynistic, non-homophobic, non-transphobic, non-racist. There's a lot of, like, active there. Um, but we are so indoctrinated into this demand for purity, the demand yes. for perfection, that it is really easy to get stuck in the binary of, I haven't achieved this thing that nobody has achieved, by right. the way, but somehow I'm a bad person because I haven't achieved it. Um, and, you know, I'm raising my hand right here because I go through that self-hatred on a regular basis, but it's not helpful to anybody. I think mm. that's the important thing. You know, the, the more that I read about anti-racism and white guilt, 
it reminds me like, oh, okay, my self-hatred does not help anybody here. All it's doing right. is me being sorry for myself and I'm not being sure. an active participant in the yeah. deconstruction, but it's still hard. And maybe it's a step that we have to go through. Mm. Maybe we have to carve neural, new neural pathways that teach us that we're not bad people because we're not adhering to something that nobody has achieved yet. You know, we have this yeah. ideal. This is, I'm not going to say that society deconstructing is a cultic system. I think that's extreme, but we are all imagining this new ideal right now. None of us know what mm -hmm. it looks like of a non-racist egalitarian society. Can any of us really imagine what that is? We probably all have different ideas of what yeah. it is. And so to demand from ourselves or each other that any of us be living in that when it doesn't exist it's not fair to us you know yeah. and so um i am sure that there are people that have a lot to say to me about what i just said and i'm sure that there's a lot that's problematic about what i said but i think the point is is that we're all in progress yeah. you know and it's 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 not for any of us to judge where another person is in that progress it doesn't help i think yeah. that's the thing that's most important it doesn't help to judge ourselves, it doesn't help to judge somebody else. We are all learning together. And you can you can provide advice, you can provide support to each other. But I think the thing that really bothers me, what I see in the larger deconstruction discourse is when we are shouting each other down. I mean, it's one thing if there's a troll and they're just actively being toxic. Sure. But when there are people that are like, I. So I, I have to share an example. There was somebody in a support group that I, I had to leave because they were like, hey, I'm actively deconstructing X, Y, and Z, and I'm really struggling with this, and I would love support on it. And people tore this person apart wow. as opposed to saying, wow, this is a really awesome opportunity to develop an ally. Here are some resources, and you know, I'm here to talk if you need to talk about this. Right. Um, and so for those of us that, again, you know, we experienced being torn down in our fundamentalist lives, mm -hmm. and now we experience that as we're deconstructing those larger things, it's hard. It's just, it's so hard. And I think it's a necessary thing that we are as a society evolving in this direction. But the thing that I think about is that the 1970s were a time of similar social unrest, right? And that's the time where we saw this huge uptick in cult involvement because yeah. going back to what you were saying before, people wanted those easy answers. We didn't want to sit with that uncertainty. We didn't want to sit with the pain mm -hmm. of, of that evolution. And so I think that it's really important for us to be careful right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think to be honest with you, I think that's a lot of what we've seen in the last few years is, yeah. is people yeah. reacting to different people reacting in and yeah. Um, yeah. suddenly going, well, how do I find my tribe? How do I feel, find people that I do feel safe with, right? Because mm -hmm. if you do, there is a component of if you put yourself out there, you become vulnerable. Yeah. Um, there's a way you do that where you can be a god and everyone claps and cheers and it's wonderful, right? And it's the yeah. 
I don't know. Christians do it, right? You can be a Christian leader and fall, but if you say you're sorry the right way and whatever, you don't even have to make it right. You, you're the yeah. God. You, well done. You can still be the lead pastor or whatever. I don't know. Um, so there's, there's a way that we can do that for sure. But I, I do feel I have conversations all the time, people messaging me saying, hey, I would love to be more involved in your comments, but I am conservative. Mm-hmm. And I know yeah. if I say anything on your comments, yeah. I will be crucified. And I'm like, yes, good call. <laughs> you will be. I'm like, yeah. definitely. I have no problem with you personally yeah. i'm not there's not many conservative bones in my body but i i, I hear you there's definitely yeah. problematic components to liberal progressive whatever i'm like dear god there's plenty of problems in that as well so i mm-hmm. hear you uh, and i want to make space for you to explore that so that maybe you might find something that's more well-rounded from at least my perspective or and certainly more well-rounded for you um, mm-hmm. you're here for a reason but you're you don't feel safe to say something uh, i've right. had people going hey like i i would like to ask some questions you posted something about being anti-racist i don't see how in any way shape or form i've ever been racist but i didn't mm-hmm. want to say anything because i know i would get killed and i'm like again yeah. yes you would be destroyed if you said right. something like that right. but you're being well-meaning you, you genuinely are going can you explain a bit more to yeah. me and i'm like great i would love to especially as a white person who doesn't already have a whole weight of uh the world's being racist towards me that is not a problem for me as a white male right um from the uk i'm, I'm doing relatively mm. well on privilege let me try and help you and at least point you to resources or whatever um right. and i think there is an obligation there and i do think you're right i think there's a lot of people um in deconstructing whatever language they put to it ex-evangelical deconstructing ex-fundy ex-cult you know there's all sorts of different kind of movements and, and language um that are so absolutist they almost they almost do uh i don't want to say they do more harm than good because i think they're doing great goods and actually often maybe the harm they're doing is very minor but there's no doubt that harm is being done and actually some people aren't being helped along the path yeah. because yeah. they're so fixated on let's stamp out anything that's not perfect this is the right, right way to deconstruct this is the right, right set of things you'll believe once you have deconstructed even that concept deconstructed like period there's a there's a point at the end where you have deconstructed and it's like mm-hmm. maybe but to be honest with you whatever you believe at that point give yourself five minutes and you'll start deconstructing again i guarantee it if you still got a pulse and you have your ears and eyes open yeah. you'll begin to deconstruct again there's something will challenge what you believe Right, because enlightenment is the same thing, in a sense, as deconstructed with a capital D and a period, right? They are they are intangible. They are not right. destiny. It's nirvana that doesn't exist. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so in that sense, you know, deconstruction is a journey, but deconstructed doesn't exist. Mm, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Have you seen this, I mean, maybe more specifically in your world, um, you know, of uh, people coming out of um, Unitarian Church, like, you know, the, that movement, is there a tendency for people to try and control that and kind of go, here's the right way to do it? You know, I know for me, when I look at people deconstructing evangelicalism, everyone and their mom has a podcast where they're kind of telling you what the right beliefs, maybe they're going, oh, this Christian belief wasn't right, but you could you still need to believe this or or and certainly all the actual still conventional christians are trying to redefine what you're doing so that you can mm-hmm. still be a part of their thing um i'm sure they just want some tithes or something but is that is that a thing that you've kind of come across as well where people are trying to kind of like direct and, and steer probably very well meaning i don't i've not met someone that does it out of a, a bad intent personally i've i've seen people in the unification church try to have sort of those gentle redirecting conversations um, and trying to be bridges back into the group 
And uh, I still see it as being problematic, right? Because it, it is to me, um, a, a form of spiritual bypassing, right? Here's somebody yeah. who went through an incredible amount of abuse, who has decided to cut themselves off from their abuser. And you're telling them, maybe it wasn't so bad, you know, just, just come and visit every now and then, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do see those things as being problematic. Um, I think that it exists less in any kind of totalist environment. And I'm saying totalist to differentiate from fundamentalist, even though there's probably a lot of crossover Um, in an environment where it is, this is who you are, how you believe, and there's no breathing room, no wiggle room. It's really, really hard for them to be like, well, here's the light version and we'll still love you. No, you still have to conform. And so I do tend to see those overtures as, again, a way to pull somebody right back into something. I don't think that there's like, oh, well, you can exist over here for as long as you want and we'll still love you. Right. Uh, Whereas I I do tend to see Christianity as a whole as being a little bit more of a spectrum. Like you can deconstruct, (laughs) again, using it as a capital D with a period from like a fundamentalist system, but still exist within like the sort of Christian cosmos, if you will. Sure. Call yourself a Christian. You can't necessarily do that in a totalist cultic environment. Right. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I, I, I might have it wrong, but I, I vaguely remember reading quote um, Reverend Moon said where it was like, I am your brain. Right. Yeah. Is that, is that yes, a famous that quote is, he said? And so yeah. like when, when you have a person that is yeah. now your brain, the one person thinks you, and I think he also was quoted saying like, you know, don't, don't was it? Don't think it was you something think too much. You think too much, you know, or something yeah. like that. But yeah. So like when you've got one person that's doing all the thinking, and you deconstruct well you can't then have another guy over here called steve going hi okay well i'll tell you the alternate way to be um right. you know to, right. to follow reverend it's like well that guy is saying that I, you can't tell yeah. me how the alternate way is to follow that now um, that reverend moon has died there are people there are schisms and i think that right. there were offshoot groups even when he was alive that were like here's a different way to interpret him mm. um but they weren't considered part of the group and anybody in the, you know, the OG, if you will, um, right. would have looked at them as problematic. And, sure. and so you would have been shunned from the greater group. Um, but yeah, no, those, those were accurate moon quotes. And I think that yeah. those are really important things to think of when you think of a charismatic leader in a cultic slash totalist environment is that they are controlling the narrative. They're controlling your neural pathways. And that's, that's one of the reasons why, so to get back to why I sort of try to use like similes for cult mm. or cultic, um, I've seen people in the ex fundy deconstruction movement use the term cult for their experience. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, where we started talking, I try, I don't want to police people's language because if that's something that helps them deconstruct, I want to let them use that tool. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if a pastor, there are, there are biblical cults, right? Right. But I still, I guess there's that part of me, and maybe this is a problematic part of me that's like, oh, that's our word. Don't take our word, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I think this is part of my deconstruct and, and, and my evolution is realizing, again, the spectrum of cultic experience. And just because I come from like a really extreme end of it doesn't mean that other people might have had similar experiences. And that's actually been really healing for me, too, in terms of plugging into the deconstruction movement is realizing that like people that I would have considered 
normal, right? Most of the people that you're probably connected with could speak to the same exact experiences mm. that I had. Um, we grew up in the Unification Church believing that we were the chosen people and that we were special and we were the first people in human history that God could use and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we thought we were special and that's something that I'm still working on even after all of these years. So when I see somebody in the deconstruction movement being like, it was a cult, I want to be like, no, it wasn't. You, you don't know what you're talking about. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's like one more area that I'm still learning and I'm still trying to realize that like, we may have had a, a quote cult leader right? Who controlled everything, but like even these pastors can function the same way. Even somebody's parents can function the same way. And so this ties back to the thing that I keep repeating and teaching myself. Cultic behavior is human behavior. Yeah. These are toxic behaviors that manifest in so many different ways. And so that's why, again, going back to some of my writings, it's like, I know that I'm saying certain things that are even black and white, you know, in terms of like trying to shift how we talk about cult survivors, trying to shift the narrative. And even that has its own problematic tendencies. And so one of the fallouts, I think, is that, and maybe this is part of the pendulum swing of experience in that sort of deconstruction process, is that you can go back to not trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. You can go back to oh shit, I said this black and white thing. Maybe I shouldn't say anything, but then I have this black and white thought, but I, you know, and so maybe, maybe again, you know, to be super circular about this, maybe this is where it's really important to be kind to ourselves again, yeah. because there is so much, this is such an intense thing um, in terms of thinking and identity to try to, to take apart and then sort of put back together I think there's a lot of, we're going to tear ourselves down, rebuild ourselves again and be like, oh, that's fucked up. Let's take it apart again and rebuild it again. And so I feel like I'm kind of in one of those phases where mm. I'm sort of like a, a Jenga tower where I'm pulling out these pieces. I'm like, that's ugly. Oh, don't keep that in there. Um, and you can start to feel kind of destabilized by it. Yeah, and so, yeah, I mean, I, it's like I write, for example, to help myself process some of the things that I've been reading and the things that I've been learning. And I recognize that like in a year, I'm probably going to look back at those and go, oh my God, I was such an asshole. I can't believe I said that, you know, and that's okay. I'm yeah. having to sit with that and be like, that is okay. I'm allowed to change my opinion. I am allowed yes. to grow as a human being but it's so hard. And again, our culture right now, we are doing some important work in deconstructing, but we're not making it easy. I don't know if it would be harder or easier if, if our social structure was uh, a little more solid. I think maybe it would be harder. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I haven't experienced deconstruction in like, you know, a super conservative 1980s, for example. Right. It would yeah. be very interesting to have a round table with people who did the work then. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. So yes. much, I don't it's know. It's a weird <laughs> dynamic right now. We're, we're doing most of this on a computer, right? Not really seeing each other, even right this right now. I mean, this is, mm -hmm. this is about as face to face as I get in my work these days anyway. And yeah. we're talking over a computer screen and there is a, a, a degree where it's not as intimate and, and connected. And mm -hmm. there is a, a one degree more potential for miscommunication or misunderstanding mm -hmm. um, or whatever it is. And um, I think it is a weird dynamic right now and, and even how 
how information is uh, processed and then put in front of people is totally different as well, right? Before mm-hmm. you'd print a leaflet and hand it out and you put that on 5,000 car windscreens and you knew that 5,000 people would probably have a look at it at some point or throw it on the floor or whatever. But now you post it on the internet and really it's someone else that goes, okay, which windscreens do I put this on? And yeah. based on what, why do I read the content? Okay, now I know that person, they like this and this and this, but they don't get the leaflet. Oh, they do. Right. And, and right. you go, gosh, what, how does any of this really, um, yeah, how is this shaping what it looks like compared to 1980s, we all get together and sit down and talk about, um, yeah. hey, what is going on with how racist this school is and can we make some changes or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? Whatever the issue was, probably was very uh, different, whether easier or harder, probably the answer is yes to both, I'm sure. Yeah, um, yeah. The level of education available is so much less, right? Mm-hmm. But the level of misinformation, probably again, less. And yeah. so there's, there's all sorts of things going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really complex. I, I'm so intrigued. Um, you know, one of the things I try and talk about often is, you know, I see people do this a lot. And I talk to people that have come from um, more extreme backgrounds a lot that connect me. I mean, people like you have connected with me when you haven't come out of that evangelical world. Um, and I just tend to talk more publicly about the worlds I've been a part of more. And so I don't tend to talk about, I'm not going to go, hey, look at the Unification Church. I don't know much. My, my old uh, co- college roommate was, his parents got married in Korea, met, sent over to the UK, um, and then ultimately um, came out and became ex-Moonies and became mm-hmm. Christians. And then that's how I met him. So I've got some familiarity, but mostly from just like, wild stories that would make my eyes go wild and I would just be like tell me more I can't believe this is a thing <laughs> not like I intimately know this world right um, but what I do know from talking to people that have kind of um, survived maybe more extreme um, movements even than some of the most extreme evangelical and, and kind of more protestant uh, movements it is hard to hear people throw around the world's cult when mm. your experience is so terrible. I mean, I, I'd yeah. imagine, I don't know, maybe it would be comparable to living in Rwanda and hearing mm. someone use the term uh, racist or, uh, or when genocide, th- right? or genocides yeah. and, and you're going, uh, this was a genocide, actually. This was serious right. racism, right. you know, and actually yeah. that over there, well, yeah, it is racism, but you don't really get it, you know, or whatever. Or maybe <laughs> yeah, people in America but- right now going, Oh, well, yeah, you're, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, you've got sexism and stuff going on, but have you seen our president, Trump? Like, mm-hmm. we have some serious sexism issues where half the country mm-hmm. was like, I'm okay with that. Um, right. You know, so there's these different dynamics where everything's on a bit of a spectrum, and yet where right. we find ourselves on the spectrum, it's our full experience to some degree. Maybe we have a slight right. difference. Right. But, but the way I've experienced that, uh, racial hate crime, where I've experienced, uh, you know, the power of patriarchy affecting my relationships, the way I've experienced um, cultic behavior and, and mm-hmm. domination and control, that was absolute in a sense, because I've no yes. other experience other than yes. being absolutely controlled by something that someone else, right? It's you stub your toe as a two-year-old, and that's as bad as getting shot as a 30-year-old, right? Because right. I stub my toe plenty of times now that I know it gets worse but when you're two this is the worst pain i've ever experienced um and it's such a complex thing i I often try uh, i personally don't use the the word cult and i don't like to use it when i talk about deconstruction because i I know it's too much of a trigger for a lot of people and and it it upsets people to go that's not 
cult. <laughs> you know, my, right, right. I had a cult experience. But it is also helpful for people. I know a lot of people have gone, oh, whoa, yeah. what I was yeah. in was like a cult. I can now go listen to cult documentaries and go, oh my gosh, or a podcast or find someone like you and go, yeah, this is a different experience, but it's the yeah. same experience. And I'm working through some of the same issues. And it's so complex dealing with these kind of subjective experiences mm, that mm-hmm. are in the same flavor and maybe have exactly the same outcomes in some ways, but actually on the surface look so different. And we can right. very easily step on each other's toes yes. and offend each other when we use the same language or, or things like that. Right. It's, it's, it's something that should be maybe I in some ways bringing us together, but really good wedges apart. Sorry. No, no, no. It's fine. I I think that you make really good points. Like I was really struck when you were talking about the term genocide, for example, to uh, reference what happened in Rwanda, right? And yet um, a Black person in the United States might say that police brutality is a form of genocide, right? Right. It's structurally targeting young men of color. Um, and, and so maybe it is really important for us to be like, oh my God, these are really problematic concepts and behaviors, like you said, that exists on a spectrum. Um, and so it is, <laughs> it is really tempting to want to claim a word and be like, well, I existed on, you know, one of the more, I didn't exist on one of the most, there's still more cultic experience that was right. more extreme, right? I didn't grow up on a compound. There were people in the Unification Church who had more extreme experiences than I did. Mm. I know that the media, for example, considers the Unification Church a cult. So I can use that as, an, as something to describe my experience. But one of the things that I'm learning especially from my own experience, is that some of these terms, brainwashing being one of them, cult being another, Mm. like you were saying, they're thought stoppers. They shut the conversation down completely. If you had spoken to me a year after I left the Unification Church and used the term cult, I would not have been able to have a conversation with you because I had so learned to shut conversation down around that word. I still had a hard time really processing that Reverend Moon was a fraud. I can say it now without any kind of like physiological experience, but I have a friend in her fifties who's been out longer than I've been alive, who still has physical reactions when I say words like that. And so I try to be really careful about those words. I will still claim the word cult in some of my writing, for example, and I explain why in one of my posts while recognizing that it is a problematic term that does alienate some people. Um, And I still have a problematic relationship with it to the point that I made before. If somebody who doesn't have my exact experience uses that term to describe their their experience, I, I wanna be like, oh no, but my experience is, and I don't, I don't know what that is in human psychology, um, but maybe it's just because those of us that are learning to rebuild our identities, we're looking for those labels to help us as sort of these handholds in the process. So it's a, it's a label I rejected and then embraced. And now I'm trying to develop nuance around it and realize that you may not have grown up in what you consider to be a cult, right? And whether it's religious or familial or political, but cults exist everywhere. Mm. Rose McGowan in her book considers all of society to be a cult. And she says that, you know, if you watch a Hollywood movie, you are supporting the cult of Hollywood. And I, I look at that and I'm like, that's an interesting point of view. I don't mm. agree with it necessarily, but I see where she's coming from. Because again, if we tie it back to 
cultic behavior is inherently human behavior, we can see that toxicity manifesting in different places. So I'm personally trying to let it be okay that other people are, are again, using those labels as those handholders, but I try to be careful. I would never go to a friend in an MLM, for example, and be like, you're in a cult. Right. Because that is a great way to shut down a conversation and end a friendship, right? It's not a way to build bridges with people. Yeah. Um, but I will use the word, if, if somebody needs to use that word for their own health and development to, you know, cut off toxic ties and whatever, I'm happy to use that word. And yeah. so until we have a better word, <laughs> I continue to use it. But again, I also tend to substitute totalist environment, you know, abusive system, because that's, that's really what it is. Right. And um, there, there's been a lot of discussion amongst scholars that the term cult itself is problematic because it's not precise, right? No. We understand what it is in our context. I could say cult classic, and you know that I'm not talking about right. a toxic religious group, for example. Um, if I talk about the cult of Apple, you'd be like, oh, cultural phenomenon that also could probably tend towards the toxic in terms of the company. Right. And if I talk about the cult of Jonestown, you're like, yeah, yep, I know what you're talking about, drinking the Kool-Aid, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, there's there's no good word. And right. I think that again, you know, it, it's it goes back to racism, sexism even, you know, this, this horrible word of genocide, um, there are experiences on the spectrum of these words and they're very imprecise, but in context, we tend to understand them and that's the power of language. Yeah. And so I try not to control the word, but I'm still in, you know, a person in progress who, who has reactions to them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, to anybody listening, if, if you study what scholars talk about in terms of like, these are the hallmarks of a cultic environment, or these are the criteria for thought reform, and you resonate with them, you may have had an experience that was on the cultic spectrum. And yeah. understanding that can actually be really important to your healing and your deconstruction. So I, I would never want to bar someone from that important part of their process. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it, I have a problem when people are like, oh, cults are so sexy. I'd love to join a cult. You know, like, there are times yeah. where I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. So yeah, it's tough. It's, it's, it's really tough. I, I, I'm constantly, um, yeah, I'm just constantly faced with it. You know, I, I talk to people day in, day out, and they go, oh, I've read um, Robert Lifton's book, right? I, I, I looked through the bike model, and, and yeah. I was definitely in a cult. And you talk to them, and it's like, gosh, like, you can tick all the boxes, but you're like ticking them in like really faint pencil. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's like, whereas other people are like, get me the deepest marker yeah. to hit that box yeah. because like that, I could have written these markers, you know, be like yeah. that. Yeah. And, and and it is, it's such a complex thing. And and yeah. I think language, this is something you talk about really beautifully. And, and I love what you um, do in, in exploring some of these topics. Um but can you talk a bit about, you know, you mentioned in passing brainwashing and, and, and other mm -hmm. other terms that, um, you know, in, in some senses, language is language and it's helpful to some. And it's completely unhelpful yeah. to others. And, and that's just yeah. a natural part you've just beautifully articulated. Um, but a lot of us uh, going through deconstruction are going to come across people that have had um, different experiences that they've deconstructed. Mm -hmm. Some have had much easier goes of it, right? Maybe I've had a much easier go of it than you have. Um, and some people have had it much worse. Maybe because some people are listening to you, maybe like you're saying, some people that have been on a compound and gone, Jen doesn't know anything, right? right, or, right who yeah. knows, right? There's this whole spectrum. But 
I do think that awareness of how do we talk to people that have mm. gone through these painful processes and what kind of language we, we use that becomes common um, mm. in everyday usage. Maybe we've watched a few too many cult documentaries and we throw around a few terms that fly around that, again, can be helpful. I, I, you know, I, it's such a complex one. Constantly giving caveats on both sides of the spectrum here. But can you talk about some of the language and maybe ways that we can engage on certain topics um, mm. in ways that might be more helpful and beneficial because we don't want to shut these conversations down. We want to create conversations right. where people can be vulnerable and, and heal and process and have a safe place to be themselves and, mm -hmm. and you know, live in this world outside of a, a very unhealthy system. Um, yeah. And it can be as easy as, like you said, if I'd said cult a few years ago to you, you would have gone, that's the end of this relationship. Yeah, I've been like, running. bye. <laughs> right, and, and I'd have gone, I don't know what just happened, right? Because right. I honestly, if you, I go back five, six, seven, ten years ago, I definitely wouldn't know what just happened, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's so hard to prepare <laughs> to have those conversations at all, right? Because everybody is in a different place in terms of their needs. And and I, I, I have like, you know, right-wing friends calling me snowflake in the back of my head, even as I'm saying this, like with all of these caveats. Um, there are certain terms that our society has latched onto that we've diluted the meaning because we use them so much, right? So cult is a great one because it has so many different meanings, again, depending on the context. And Amanda Montell in her book, Cultish, the language of fanaticism talks about this, that that's why she uses the word cultish to sort of indicate the spectrum and that, you know, there's a language around sort of culty behavior. Um, so I'm not saying like use modifiers, but just understanding that there are a lot of words that there are many words in other languages that the meaning changes depending mm. on your inflection, depending on context. And so unfortunately in English, cult is one of those words, right? And brainwash is one of them too. And if you use them in their strongest sense, they can be thought stoppers, right? And a thought stopper um, can be a good thing and a bad thing. A thought stopper is if you're having like negative thoughts and you're just like, shut it down, that's a thought stopper for us, you know, and it can keep us from going down these really negative um, pathways. But when they're used in these abusive systems, they uh, basically quell the cognitive dissonance that mm. happens when when we have again when we're holding these dualities and trying to balance that right um and cult i think is something that our society has really latched on to right now because if you disagree with me you're in a cult and so that's that's one of the reasons why i've been trying to step away from this word but also again it's a not a helpful word when we're trying to build bridges you know, if I have a racist uncle and I'm like, you're watching Fox, you're in the Republican GOP death cult. Well, that's not going to develop any kind of nuanced conversation. Right. He's I not going to invite you around for dinner next week. I am not going to develop an ally <laughs> out of him. By the way, I don't have a racist uncle, but, you know, just using that as a as an example. Um, and so I think that that's an instance where we have to be very careful with language. I do have friends that are in MLMs and I try to, I try to keep up conversation with them about their experiences. Um, I've tried saying like, Hey, have you read about this lawsuit with this product that has been problematic? And even that gets shut down. Sure. So I know that if I'm like, hey, do you know that MLMs exist on the cultic spectrum? Well, that's not going to go anywhere, right? Right. Um, 
And again, I think that when you're talking to somebody who has survived an extremely fundamentalist environment, the word cult can really shut them down too, because there's a lot of shame and stigma attached to the word for survivors. A lot of us, yeah. and, and this is something that I've been grappling with, it probably differs between, you know, first, second, and multi-generational members. People who, quote, joined cults probably feel a lot of shame that they were duped into these abusive yeah. environments. Um, but unfortunately, the way that society treats survivors, even second and multi-generational members, uh, a lot of that is projected onto them, too. So the yeah. word cult is very loaded in that regard because, you know, if I'd gotten past the process of, you know, you saying cult and me shutting it down, being like, no, it wasn't la la la. The next step for me was you saying cult and I hear stupid. Yes. You know, you were mm. dumb because like my story is that I left the Unification Church after many years of struggling with it after a forced arranged marriage to a stranger. It took me a long time to be able to say forced arranged marriage mm. because it was actually just sort of part of the culture that I had grown up in. And I had a lot of people ask the questions of like, why didn't you just leave? Why did you choose to do that? And we don't understand that in these environments there is really no choice. No. It's, you know, you follow, it, it, again, it's the totalist thing. You follow completely or you're basically dead to the group and your family and you lose everything. So I, it, it took me a lot of learning and healing to be able to hear cult without judgment. And the same mm. thing with brainwashing. And Robert J. Lifton talks about the problem with the term brainwashing because again, it's overused to the point of being meaningless, right? right. We can talk about TV brainwashes you and advertising brainwashes you. It coerces you, it does. It is, it is on the spectrum of coercive control, but it's not the same as the indoctrination camps that I was sent to as an eight-year-old, you know, where I was sleep deprived and food deprived and alienated and being lectured to for hours and end. So I think that, again, I don't want to police other people's language, but I think that the more that we understand how this language can be very loaded helps us to speak to survivors. Um, and I, I always use domestic violence as sort of this uh, analogy, because I think that we've we have a little more history of language around domestic violence and understanding it and being yeah. more empathetic with it to say, you know, for example, would you ever say to a woman, you know, who is in an abusive relationship, why didn't you just leave? People do do that. Yeah. It's, and it's hugely problematic, but the more that you understand the dynamics of, um, intimate partner violence, the more you realize that's a problematic question. And so I think that, that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to educate around these words to say that there are a lot of people who have had these cultic experiences. There are a lot of people that have experienced spiritual abuse and religious abuse and coercive abuse. And the more that we understand the commonalities across these various things, the more empathy that we have, yes. the less judgment that we have for survivors. And I think that the less that we'll use language to re-trigger them. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I will not shut down a person who says, I experienced brainwashing in the Unification Church because they're at a place where that's the word that they have to use to yeah. own their experience. And that's fine. I'm not going to be like, actually, Robert J. Lifton says, and that's a problematic term. It's not helpful. Um, but 
I think, you know, when I talk about these terms, I'm, I'm really thinking about people like you and policymakers who people look up to um, in terms of sort of guiding some of the conversation yeah. and, and realizing that there, there are going to be things that we say that are inherently going to hurt people. And this goes back to our larger conversation about we are all learning and we are yeah. all deconstructing on some level, whether we came from a religious background or we came from a conservative household and we're like, hey, I have no problem with homosexuality. We're all deconstructing and we're all learning. And this is something that we're all struggling with, right? Yeah. People are like, oh man, these pronouns, right? Or, oh, I have to use this term in terms of this term. I, uh, I really love the Big Lebowski. And I, I, uh, I always use the phrase, that's not the preferred nomenclature, please. You know, I think that's such a healthy way to approach some of this. Mm. Um, and I think that it's a that dynamic, right? Where they say the Chinaman and then John Goodman's character is like, <laughs> please, Asian American, you know, we have to understand language is always changing. And the reason yeah. that it changes is because more people are invited to the table and more people are allowed to express their experiences and say, hey, the word oriental is like really hurtful and it has this like racist connotation in history. Let's use like these new terms. And it requires growth and it's so uncomfortable because we are being asked to change and we're being asked to empathize with other people. And that means seeing things from their perspectives. And if we look at society as like a lot of toddlers who don't really have that capacity, of course it's hard, right? right? And so what I'm trying to do is just sort of bring some voices to the table and be like, here's some preferred nomenclature, mm. right? What are your pronouns? Here's my nomenclature. Like, let's let's have these conversations um, and let's learn together. And again, I recognize it's hard and I'm still learning, right? Yeah. I'm still realizing that there are words that are really hard for me. Um, and, and so again, you know, it's gonna evolve. Language will evolve over time. We do not speak the same way we did when I was growing up. You know, we don't speak the yeah. same way that people did in the 1970s. Um, and I think that that's actually a really beautiful thing. Yeah, and I absolutely. think that the more that we expand language, the more that we expand our ability to think in new possibilities and, and be empathetic people. Mm. So yeah, those are, those are two words that, that I've sort of identified in our, in our discourse that I don't think are helpful, you know? Sure. Um, and so that's why in one of my blog posts, it's like, if somebody comes to me and says, were you brainwashed? It's, it's, I have a reaction to it, you know, because I hear again, were you stupid? Yeah. Like, how did you let that happen to you versus, you know, did you experience psychological abuse? Were you uh, exposed to thought reform techniques? To me, yeah. that explains to me that like, oh, you've done your research, you understand and you're a safe person. Yes. And I think that that, you know, you were talking about vulnerability earlier, that signals to me like, oh, it's okay to be vulnerable here. I'm not going to yeah. get hurt and judged and I'm not going to get triggered back into a previous state, you know? Yeah. So yeah. No, absolutely. Especially if, I mean, a lot of people coming out of this situation, their only, their only paradigm was vulnerable. Like mm. by default, you grew yes. up and this is a vulnerable place. And yeah. that can be a, a, a 
a beautiful thing in a healthy place, but can be such a toxic and destructive thing in, in yeah. some sort of very totalitarian, fundamental kind of um, place. And and so to the invitation to vulnerability, lots of people go, oh, this is wonderful. I can be vulnerable. I can be, I can let my hair down around here. But when you have been so abused for being vulnerable and you're only learning how to put up walls and actually create boundaries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you really want to make sure that this is a place I can be vulnerable because mm -hmm. I know what it looks like to be vulnerable in the wrong place. And, and I think yes. that's so huge, such a huge, yeah. huge deal. I, yeah. I, I'm so amazed. How are you doing for time, by the way? I'm just really aware we're just rabbiting on. Yeah, are, I know. I'm are you fine. running out? You're okay? I'm, I'm okay for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. You good if we go for like 15, 20 minutes more? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, good. I just didn't want to keep rabbiting on because I'm just having a great conversation, but I'm aware like, oh, we actually can talk about how long we talked for. Um, so I don't want you to like, you know, realize you've ran out of day. Um, I'm sure it's much earlier where you are. But um, yeah, I, I think something that's so interesting, I, I just watched, um, gosh, over the pandemic. So it was like last week or a year and a half ago, um, right. Who knows somewhere, somewhere in between. Um, I watched the documentary on HBO, The Vow, about the Nixon yeah. movement. Mm -hmm. and, and something that really struck me, it was so interesting, was seeing different people react to people that had come out and yeah, and yeah. you just saw some really unhealthy reactions from so many yes. people but the reactions that that shocked me and I wasn't surprised when I actually stopped and thought because I was like oh, I've seen this a lot but it really shocked me at the time looking at it was these people that had been out for much longer and mm -hmm. had been so abused by the, the new breed of people that were coming out much later, five years, 10 years later, mm -hmm. were leaving this, mm -hmm. this um, very cultic movement. And, and they had abused and gaslit the shit out of all these people that had come out before. And I'm like, they're now coming to them going, hey, would you be willing to tell your story? And things like that. Yeah, yeah. And just watching those people go, oh, you're out. I'm so happy. I'm so glad. Come on in for a meal. Come stay with me for three days. And I'm like, I am like, dude, you're out. I get to finally take a swing at you. Uh, you know what I mean? I'm like, uh, and yeah. it was so, and I think this highlights so importantly that when you know, you know, and there's not a bone in your body that goes, well, why didn't you just leave? Or, oh, mm. you were, or mm. why were you so mean to people that left? Or because you were mean to people that left and yeah. you couldn't leave and yeah. you understood this dynamic. And I think this is, to some degree, where there's commonality, even if you aren't in um, the most extreme environment, even on the most minor levels, so many of us should be able to have a bit of self-awareness. If we stop, take a breath, look at our life and go, of course I was a, a radical evangelical that was running around telling mm. people on the street that they were going to burn in hell and they need to take this track and get saved and come to church with me. Might not be the most extreme. I'm not asking you to come to my compound and drink Kool-Aid, but I should at least understand that I couldn't see that that was a bit crazy and I couldn't yeah. see that I should leave that. And I didn't feel safe because I was brought up in this or at some point it, it ticks the box based on my world upbringing and my hurts and my needs. And it, it filled a hole for me to a degree that I couldn't then let go of it. Um, there's a really interesting dynamic there um, of how we can, there's a beautiful component there, I guess I'm trying to say of like, there's this amazing opportunity to hold space for people that have gone through these things. And I think this is something I'm aware of is with not much work, someone that's gone through a process of deconstruction can really be a very safe space for someone that yeah. has been through a much more serious um, thing. Yeah. But it does require awareness. It does require, hey, maybe certain language is problematic. It does require you to think, 
why don't I say something as stupid as that? Because when I stop and think about it, it's stupid because I couldn't even leave a, a like kind of fairly nice mom and pop evangelical church where if you left, it was kind of fine. They'd just be like, oh, you never believed anyway. And you move on. It wasn't mm-hmm. that they tried to kill your family or, you know, tried to like ruin your business or, you know, like in the grand scheme of things, it's not the most extreme scenario. And I couldn't leave that. Right. And so it's like, maybe some self-awareness should be able to help me realize why certain people can't leave when their entire life is rooted in this, their, their yeah. finances, their ability to live. The home they live in is part of this movement and they have, they will be homeless if they leave mm-hmm. or, you know, they'll have no family. I mean, these are very serious outcomes that you go, well, of course they didn't leave that. Of yeah. course. Or even the way that they were taught to think, right. They, they yeah. been from the get go. Um, I just think, yeah, this is such a beautiful opportunity for um, the creation of safe spaces. And it's really sad. You know, you mentioned the experience you had earlier where someone tried to open up and got kind of destroyed in what should be one of the safest places, you know, a place to have those conversations. Um, yeah. It's, it's I, concerning. I think that, again, this goes back to this, we're all learning, right? Like early in my deconstruction, I'm, you know, co-opting your word, (laughs) Um, in my deconstruction, I think that there were people who came to me who were freshly out that I may not have been able to hold space for appropriately because I just didn't know any better, right? I might have said something. I might have used the wrong word. Um, I I had a mentoring relationship with somebody through um, an organization that helps women out of forced arranged marriages. And uh, I think she was going through a lot. I might have said something that ended that. You know, it just sort of dissipated right and I look back on that I'm like I don't remember what I said and I could have said something stupid Mm. and I would have just had no awareness of it right because I'm not where I am now to realize like oh shit this word could have been problematic I could have judged her I could have just said something that made her feel judged there's so many I, I could have been demanding her hold more uncertainty than she was ready for right Um, And I know that that happened to me too. There were people who had left the Unification Church movement who asked me, why didn't you just leave, right? So I think that to your point, yes, it can be an incredibly beautiful, vulnerable space that we hold. And we have to be so careful because we are all trained to behave with people in a certain way. And we can enact communal abuse on one another when Mm. we revert to those old behaviors and so that's something that I'm really trying to be careful with because I have people reach out to me all the time now about thinking that they're they want to leave or they are recently out Mm. Um, and it is such a fragile space for these people to be in and it requires so much compassion and I may not always have the capacity to hold that space for those people I had somebody recently ask me if they could share a very private traumatic event with me. And I had to say, I'm sorry, I'm not in a space where I think that that would be healthy for me. And I wanted to, but I also knew that if it wasn't healthy for me, I couldn't be healthy for that other person. So it's such a complex thing. And so like when you were talking about what you were watching with the vow, like I felt myself get really emotional because on one hand, like I really wish that I had had that when I got out and yet yeah, it it's fraught, you know? And 
wanting to have that perfect space to be vulnerable and to be healthy. And when we leave is probably an extension of the fundamentalist need that we had. Um, And so, yeah, I think it all goes back to just like everything is uncertain and we are all evolving and we're all doing our best, you know? And so, yeah, I want to be that space for people. And I know that I'm not going to get it right all the time. And that's really, really hard when it's somebody else's health on the line in a sense. Yeah. You know? um, and so I'm very, very careful and I probably fuck up a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I wonder, could you, we'll wrap up with this question and then we'll kind of okay. like figure out how people can connect with you and stuff like that. Sure. I wonder if you could talk about, um, there's a component to, uh, for what of a better word, the word cult, there's a component to that that is very, um, it comes with a very voyeuristic um, mm, yes. uh, tendency. People yeah. hear the words cult, right? You, I'm sure you've said something to someone somewhere and they go, oh, you know, tell me a bit, right? So oh, I used to be in a cult or maybe you're using language mm-hmm. for them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they light up, they go, oh my oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. tell me more, right? And yeah. I have been guilty of this because I, for years, even when I was in the midst of really unhealthy religious worlds and stuff like that, I love like a documentary about cults or a Mm -hmm. TV show or anything. I'm like, give me a wild and crazy story about a whole sub world, you know, that exists. And I have no idea what it's like. Like, I am there. I'm there for any crazy story, right? I'm there for the story where you couldn't flush your poop down the loo and you threw it out the window and it landed on the sunroof of the house that you're in. Like I get some great stories and I'm there for it. I I love it. Any kind of like wild and wacky story, but there's an element where that's funny laughing at me throwing a poop out the window. Um, This is a real story that I'm using as an analogy. It wasn't me, but amazing time. Um, That's funny, right? not so funny when it's my trauma right right, right, um and so there's a there's a component that i feel like when people are discussing these areas that some people go oh i was in a weird and crazy evangelical church and you know i left in that and then people go okay cool whatever and move on but when you Mm -hmm. talk about things like hey i went to like uh, they sent me away to indoctrination camps. They did all sorts of different stuff. And and to be honest with you, part of this conversation, I've tried not to go down that route because <laughs> I'm sure you've told your story in other areas. I'm yeah. sure people can find that. Um, yeah. And I'm sure people would be very interested, but there is an element in me. And I know in people that we listen to this go, oh, I want to hear all the crazy stuff. Sure, right. Sure. And, and, and education all sorts of different things it's important to understand a lot of these things but sometimes it is just out of this i don't know weird voyeuristic entertainment at the expense of someone that has been through a very hard process can you talk about that dynamic i mean we we all read i don't know uh tara westwood's uneducated not because Mm -hmm. we particularly wanted to educate ourselves about some weird um you know subset of mormonism we wanted a crazy story right and and we all got off on that crazy story a little bit from obama to you know my sister you know like we all enjoyed this story um and is that okay is it is it wrong is it good is there helpful yeah I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm not going to qualify it in any way. I'm going to give you a super vague answer like I have Perfect. this whole time, that's, right? Perfect. That's the, the gist. Um, I, I understand when people don't want to share their stories because uh, society reacts to it as sort of trauma porn, right? Yeah. And that's a thing. And I totally respect people who are like, yeah, no, you can't have my story because of the way that you're going to use it. Um, on the other hand, 
in Amanda Montal's book, Cultish, she talks about um, how our brains process it. It's sort of like when you can't look away from an accident. She says that the way that our brains process it is that we are trying to figure out what happened so that we don't get into a similar situation. And I mm. wish I had the book, you know, marked right here so that I could quote it to you. Um, but that was, I, you know, I read it recently, I think it came out in June and that was really helpful for me because it made me realize, okay, I can use my story as a teaching tool. Um, I think that there are people that do use it as a voyeuristic thing and they derive a certain pleasure from it. I don't love that, you know, and I choose to not share my story with people who are like, Hey, I read your blog and I, you know, I interview all kinds of people from all walks of life. And I just want to hear your story because to me, it does fit in with that a little right. too much. I am willing to share my story with other survivors because I think that there is a huge learning. When I hear other survivors stories, I'm able to process my own through their experience. And I think that yes. we all kind of grow together that way. Um, when there are mental health professionals or survivor advocates or people that are talking about larger deconstruction issues, um, we didn't talk about my story really, but if we had, I would have been happy to educate around it. Again, I've been out 15 years, so I've had that time to really sure. sit with my story, process it, talk to a therapist about it. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time writing about my story specifically. I don't share that on my blog, but I have written it. And every time I wrote it, I'd learned something new. So I think that I'm careful. I know that there are people that want to use these stories to make money for shock value, right? There right. are, there are documentaries that are like, look at the freaks. And then there are documentaries. Like I really appreciated um, both the vow and seduced sort of in concert with each other, because I felt like they helped fill in each other's gaps. Mm. There was a lot of education around seduced, there was less education, I thought, in the vow, but you got seduced through the process with people and on a sort of subliminal level, you're like, oh, this could happen to other people yeah. and you develop deep empathy, right? So again, I think that that comes to these stories can be really, really powerful to teach yeah. us about human nature, to teach us about how to keep ourselves safe. But I think that let's just use porn in general. There's the, the discussion about how to consume ethical porn. And sure. then you can consume porn that's about, not about, or about, or that does um, really uh, take advantage of people. And so I think that we have to sort of look at survivor stories across the spectrum in terms of like, is this person in control when they're sharing mm. the story? Have they chosen? Um, I personally think that there are a lot of us who've experienced trauma that are not in control of our stories and tend to sort of like word vomit. That's something yes. that a lot of trauma survivors do. We'll just bleh on anyone that will listen very early on in our healing that may not be the healthiest thing for us because we haven't developed the discernment to say, yeah. this is a safe space. This is an ethical space. Um, again, I'm not gonna dictate to people about their healing, but for those of us who are consumers of stories, maybe we do need to think about it in similar terms. I, I don't, 
Like I want to repeat, like in the same terms that we talk about porn, that's a, a term that's going to thought stop for people, right? They're gonna be like, nope, porn, no. But right. there is that larger conversation about, okay, let's talk about fast fashion. How mm -hmm. do we consume in just a broader sense where people are not being exploited, right? With Amazon, should I be buying from other vendors versus a vendor that I know is not giving people an appropriate pay, appropriate time for breaks, and is technically exploiting people? Um, so I think that it's exhausting. It's the same kind of exhaustion as with language, yeah. right? As we learn to be better advocates and better consumers, um, it's really, really hard. Sometimes all I want to do is sit down and watch Netflix and maybe watch some reality TV. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I had this experience and, you know, stop me if I'm going too long, but I was no, watching uh, America's Next Top Model. And, oh my God, it's like, it's just junk food, right? It's so easy to want to just like binge it. But what I started to realize is like, oh my God, they're keeping these contestants up like 20 hours a day. They're not allowed to speak mm -hmm. unless the camera is rolling and they're these in these highly intense environments. That's a kind of coercive control. Maybe that's not ethical. These right. people are having extreme reactions to these situations are doing so because they're under duress. They're not right. eating well. They don't have contact with their family. Like I started freaking out a little bit and couldn't watch right. it anymore. Cause I was like, Oh my God, these people are actually being abused, right. you know? Um, sorry, Tyra, but yeah, I just, I, I couldn't <laughs> consume that anymore because it felt unethical to me. And so I think the more that we educate ourselves about what is being done behind the scenes mm. um, and, and what these situations look like, I think that we can be better consumers. I want to think yeah. that Tara Westover uh, was in control of her story enough mm, to sure. um, be able to share it. And so like I read her story and got a lot out of it in terms of like, oh man, yeah, I had a similar experience and she learned yes. this. So maybe I need to learn that. And maybe there are people that didn't get anything out of it other than sort of like that junk food pleasure. <sighs> And I can't tell other people how to behave. All I can right. say is right. like, maybe this is something we should think about. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Maybe. I think that's a huge component. Whether it's at someone's expense is a, right. it's just a huge right. factor. I know I have fallen guilty. There's certain podcasts that are missing. If you look back, I've got like 130 podcasts or something right now. But if you look back, there'll be a gap. And it's like, oh, where's episode 42 or something? Mm -hmm. And it's because mm -hmm. I have recognized at times where I've been drawn in and gone, oh, that would be such a good podcast. Rather than going, this would be a wonderful person to talk to, or mm -hmm. this would be a great opportunity for me to learn. Yeah. Um, and th I'm thankful that they're all fairly early on and there's about two or three in 130. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, Phil, time to do the self-compassion, the grace, be kind, all that stuff like you learned. Um, yeah. And hopefully I've learned that lesson. Maybe I'll, I'll still fall prey to that if there's a really good clickbait out there somewhere. Right, you know, right. Like, Ooh, that's a great podcast. Yeah. But, I think, yeah, you're right. That's a really, really uh, insightful way to look at it. Um, yeah, you're, you're spot on. Jen, thank you so much. <laughs> this has been great. I could have done this for many, many hours more. Me too. Uh, so much fun. <laughs> um, so maybe we'll have you back on at some point and we can talk more, uh, more stuff great. for sure. But how can people connect with you? You've got a blog, you're on mm -hmm. Instagram. I mean, I'm mostly following you on Instagram, reading you. Just, just the little captions that you write under your posts there are just so helpful to me. 
Um, and so you've got lots of great ways that people can connect to you. How can they do that if they're listening to this? I'll make sure links and stuff are. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, so my website is jenkiaba.com. Um, I'm an artist and an educator. So you're going to find my art there. But the blog is really where I try to do my education and, you know, my sort of public learning as it will. But you can find me on social media at Jen Kiaba, either on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I'm, you know, taking a little bit of a break for the summer breather, but I'll hopefully be back in the fall with, you know, a lot more to share and interact. So I, I love meeting new people and I am so grateful for you and the whole deconstruction community because you are all teaching me a lot. And I think that again, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, the, the more that the more that we are in control of our stories and share them in healthy ways, the more that we realize like our experiences have so much resonance. And I think yes. that that's an incredibly healing experience. So I hope that more people yeah. can kind of plug into that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's wonderful. And, and I think that is a big part of what you're doing. People are um, seeing themselves in a the mirror. And I think that's what happens when you, maybe there are people that are trauma porning all over the place. I don't know, but, and you know what, as long as the person creating this trauma porn is, content and happy and wants to put it out there that's fine if no one's getting hurt but i think people that are coming from where maybe you are and where i am we pick up that book by tara wester we pick up the book by megan phelps roper whatever it is and and we see ourselves in a mirror uh, yeah. to some degree or another and we feel seen and we feel mm -hmm. that there is someone in the world that understands and i think that is what you're putting out in the world is is very much i understand and it's going to be okay and that is a beautiful message to be putting out in the world so thank you for that i really appreciate it thank you so much all right. Well, have a good one. I don't know. What time is it over there? Where are you, Where in the world are you? I'm in New York. It's one o'clock. Okay. It's so you're only five time. hours behind. Yeah. That's yeah. no, dinner time for me. So I'm going to go and ah. put the dinner on. So, all right. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, it was wonderful meeting you. Uh, hopefully we get to do this again as well. I'll let you know when it comes out. I think it's probably going to be next week. Um, and so I'll send you, um, you know, links and tag you and different stuff, but yeah. Sure. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right, Jen. Love you. Catch you later. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Peace. Bye. If you are deconstructing, there is no reason to do this alone. It can be an incredibly lonely process, but the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource to help you find others deconstructing in your local area. If you would like to support what I do, everything I do is for free, from talking to people for hours on end to producing resources and podcasts. Um, it is only possible because people give uh, generously. There is never any need to give. Um, it will always be free, everything I do. But if you do, we do have an amazing private community group that we talk on over on Discord um, that you would gain access to. And we do regular audio and video chats on there as well. So it'd be great to see you in there. But of course, never any requirement. And of course, please, please, please come and talk to me on Instagram. I love connecting with people. I love helping people on their journey. If you need a safe space to process your deconstruction, I would love to connect. It's just at Phil Drysdale. Love every one of you. Peace. All right. So that was Jen Kiaba. I hope you've enjoyed that conversation. I loved it. We'll definitely be having Jen back on the show in the future. Um, I'd encourage you to check out her art, support what she's doing, um, check out her blog. You can do all that at jenkiaba.com. That's K-I-A-B-A. Um, so very worth doing, Jen with one N. Um, and you can check her out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's just Jen Kiaba again. Um, and so do do that. Shoot her a message on, on social. I know she's taking a break right now, but shoot her a message and let her know that you love this, that you appreciate her. Um, it's always nice to, to receive messages from people that have uh, listened to your podcast um, interviews and things like that. I always enjoy 
uh, when someone's listened to me on another uh, podcast and said, hey, I really appreciate it. Um, it, it just feels great to know that people are, are listening or appreciating that content. And so, yeah, shoot her a message and let her know that um, and definitely dive into her stuff, uh, especially if this topic interests you. She's got some really great blogs um, that go into much greater depth than we managed to hear in, in a couple of hours. Um, as I said at the beginning, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you want to connect with other people in your local area that are deconstructing. It's completely free. Um, we're also conducting research through that um, website as well, so you can be a part of our uh, research, ongoing research that's happening into the deconstruction uh, movement. And you can support what I'm doing, my research, me supporting other people that are going through deconstruction, putting out free resources, all of that good stuff. If you believe um, what I'm doing and helping people in their deconstruction journeys and helping them for free is a worthwhile uh, thing and you'd like to support me, you can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. And uh, of course, you get access to our amazing online community. I, I cannot speak highly enough of everyone over there. We just have the great, the greatest time uh, talking about everything and anything from our uh, pets right through to uh, surviving all kinds of religious trauma. You know, from the everyday to the really heavy stuff, we 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 have some amazing conversations, and so it'd be great to have you on over there. Um, all right, that's enough from me. I'll see you again next week. We'll be continuing our Q&A series um, with Q&A part three. Um, and I've got plenty more interesting uh, questions to, to look through. And so I'll see you then. Have a good one, everyone. Hope you're well. I love you all.